Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the podcast. This is The Finch Show, and I am James Finch. I want to thank all of you for coming back for another episode. I was really excited about this one. I had a fantastic time. My guest on the podcast was Elizabeth Priller, who is a registered nurse, but more than that, she is a corporate wellness consultant, a certified health coach, a registered yoga instructor, and so much more. Um, she's such a fantastic person. I was really excited to meet her, really excited to get down, sit down and have a conversation with her. We had a great time. I really did. I felt like we jived and talked about a lot of really interesting topics. So I really hope you enjoy it. But I'm not going to talk anymore without further ado. Here is Elizabeth. This is a beautiful office, by the way. Thank you. I, I just moved in here in January, mm. um, working from home, obviously, not just because of the pandemic, but just because I was a home-based business. And um, what prompted me to move out was my two crazy German shepherds. <laughs> I couldn't take anymore. They bark at everything. I'm like, you guys are psychotic. Yeah. And so it was really interfering with my ability to separate my work brain from my home brain. And so then I would be sitting at the desk and I'm like, there's the dishes, there's the dog, and how am I supposed to be creative in that space? Um, and I've had a business before, I had a photography studio for 12 years, so I was used to having like a more office retail space. And I just like, should I do it, should I do it, do I do it? And I'm like, finally I can take it more. I met a client at the park and it started to rain. I'm oh, like, no. I'm done, <laughs> I can't do this anymore. So I looked at this building four times because I can't commit to anything. And so then I looked at it the fourth time and my husband's like, are you gonna do it or not? And I was like, okay. So then I got, I was had my desk up here and I'm like, well, that's awful selfish of me to have that big space down there. There's probably other people that also are in this position where they are working from home, they have a home-based business, they're starting a business, etc." And so I'm like, I don't know if Oregon can handle a co-working space, but I'm gonna do it. Mm -hmm. And of course, the majority of people are like, what's that? Why would I need that? They just didn't understand the concept of going somewhere else to work, mm -hmm. let alone working from home. That was a big enough shift. Yeah. So I just did a little bit of market research. It's not my primary business. It's kind of like the old car you have in the garage. If you need it, it's there. <laughs> if you don't know it breaks down, if somebody's like, hey, I could really use a car, it's here. Mm -hmm. uh, the type of person, obviously, that's using it is someone just like me, a professional. Um, who is either a professional student or a professional in their career and they need somewhere to work. Mm -hmm. So I've been here for nine months. Nine months? Yeah. It's very nice. Thank you. I always get a kick out of, uh, and you can tell from looking at the architecture, it's an older building yes. that kind of gets a retrofit and still has a lot of, I love the exposed yes. rock over here to the side. Like, yeah. I know this is a podcast, but I wish people could see I it. Wish they could it's too, absolutely gorgeous. The history, like the history that this brings into the building, I, I don't know the original purpose of the building. I, I would love to research that, but it is one of the oldest buildings in Oregon. Mm -hmm. um, and those windows, those were the original exterior. Oh, wow. So this part was added on. Those shutters are the original shutters. Oh, wow. So isn't that kind of cool? Yeah. For those of you who are listening, I'll take pictures and post it on my yes, Insta. Yeah, it's really Because cool that, that is really cool. And you can even see the exposed beams in there. Yeah. You think about it, those, that's probably a tree that was cut down over 100 years ago. Easily over you know? 100 years that's ago. That's insane. Yeah. That is so neat. 
Wow, that is the interesting thing. I don't know if you've ever uh, you've ever traveled abroad. I have. Uh, you know, it's always the interesting thing when you go to other countries, especially on the other side of the pond. It, you know, here in America, if something's a hundred years old, we're like, that's ancient. Right. Over there, if you say something's a hundred years old, they're like, Whoa. that's last <laughs> week. They have you know two thousand or eight hundred year old buildings mm-hmm. and that are still standing. Yeah, and look very similar to our one hundred yeah. year old building. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, so bizarre. Yeah, so I love the space. I I love the old meets new. Um, it's kind of like my um, it's kind of my philosophy of a lot of things too. The connection. Um, between the yoking and the unity of two um, dichotomous things, and we'll be getting into what those two things do are. that right now because oh, I'm, already, right like, now? I'm already oh, like, wait, right? what? Okay. So <laughs> I am a registered nurse and a registered yoga teacher, and I didn't foresee either of those happening. My original goal was to join the Air Force and be a surgeon. Okay. So just that's a little backstory of me. Um, but then at age 17, I found myself pregnant in my senior year of high school. And so I knew I needed to change the trajectory of my life because that probably wasn't a feasible career for me. Um, So I remember the career advisor coming from the local college and she's like, you should join, you should just be a nurse. Like it'll be quick, it'll be easy, you can do it. And I was like, okay. And she literally filled out my classes and I signed the bottom of the form. That's how my nursing (laughs) career started. I did not intend to be a nurse. So that was, you know, I graduated nursing school at 19 and the whole like 15 years um, of being a nurse, 15 to 20 years of being a nurse, I only saw people at their worst. And I only understood healthcare to be when people were at their worst. And once, you know, 20 years of lifestyle practices had been, had, you know, run their systems amok, then they needed us. Mm-hmm. And then I started experiencing that in my own life. And I thought there has got to be something more we can be doing for people that doesn't wait until they're at their worst, until they're seeing symptoms in their mind and their body. And through my own health challenges, I found yoga. Um, I had actually found yoga 20 years ago, or it found me um, in my first class, I fell asleep. And I thought, okay, this is probably something I need because it made me fall asleep immediately. Um, But then it was so different from Western medical care. It was the complete opposite. It was more spiritual. It was um, looking at modalities that we didn't really explore much here in the United States. Yoga in the United States tends to be yoga, um, Lululemon leggings and how flexible you can be. Mm-hmm. And that is not what yoga is. Mm-hmm. And, and I learned that through my studies. So then I'm like, well, how do I put this into a practice? What does that look like? Because they are so different. And people from the West, are they going to accept you know, teachings from the East, and the East is it going to see the West. And I thought, I'm the perfect person to bring those two together uh, for so many reasons. One, I feel I am ethnically ambiguous. Some people <laughs> have no clue what I am. And um, they just kind of believe me because they're like, well, she must know what she's talking about. <laughs> now, granted, I do have the, the research and the science and the experience to back it up. Um, but then through all of that process and navigating what does that look like, in practice, I found one thing to be true, and that is the body follows the mind. Mm-hmm. Everything that we physically experience starts first between our ears. Mm-hmm. And that's the basis for my book, it's the basis for the work that I do. And then, so that's like this building is that physical expression of taking the old, you know, maybe old ways of thinking, um, old habits, old patterns that we've seen in our life, and not necessarily trying to shut them away, but acknowledge that they're there, 
And then now how do we find a new way mm-hmm. to rewire our brains and our bodies? Mm-hmm. So that's what I do. It is so true. The um, I feel like the last couple of years um, and coronavirus, I think, definitely expedited this is as a society and as a people, we're beginning to open our eyes to the importance of mental health. Yeah. Just how important that is. Um, you and I, I believe, both grew up in a time where if you had a physical ailment, you went to the doctor, the doctor took care of it. If something was wrong upstairs, you dealt with it. Yes. Grow Absolutely. up, shut your mouth. Absolutely. Get moving. Absolutely. You know? There was no time for, I don't feel well in my mind, mm-hmm. or I'm depressed, or I'm anxious, or... Um, I don't have good self-worth. Those were not discussions right. mm-hmm. that we had. Weren't allowed to. Or allowed to. Yeah, it just socially wasn't acceptable, right? Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. In the last like 18 months to two years, when we all were affected at mm-hmm. the same time collectively, then we all of a sudden could normalize the playing field. Right. And be like, oh, this is affecting us on a much deeper level. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how um, being a... Excuse me, and I don't know if this is sexist at all, but you know, kind of being a man, you're sort of like, you know, you work hard, Mm -hmm. you don't quit till the job's done, you go, 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 go. And um, yeah, it's the same thing, kind of, even though coronavirus didn't entirely impact my career or anything like that, um, it it was sort of awakening to a lot of things that you don't have to. No. Like beginning to recognize the signs of burnout, beginning to recognize the signs of you're mentally not okay right now, man. And it doesn't mean anything earth shattering is going on. But if you literally just need to take a day and you know play video games or yes. watch a TV, which used to be considered lazy, Absolutely. you were just being a lazy piece of crap. But mentally, if that's what you need to do to sort of like, you know, I sort of explain to my kids, it's like putting your phone on the charger. Mm-hmm. You need to do that sometimes. And that's so true. We take much better care of our cars and our phones. <laughs> that is we, so true. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like when um, oil changes, and this is yeah. from, you know, speaking from a female's perspective about how I have observed men, it's this, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. In my own household, um, growing up, it was work, 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 and then maybe have a little bit of play. Mm-hmm. Maybe sleep when you're done. Right. And so I have kind of a radical perspective of flipping the script that I spend the first three to four hours of my day giving to myself first so that when I go out in the world, mm-hmm. I have that resilience to be able to handle whatever life throws at me. But I am the first one to tell you that I spent the majority of my career working 60 plus hours a week. Mm-hmm. And I suffered greatly because of it, but mm-hmm. I couldn't stop. Yeah. Because I had heard, if you stop, you're lazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was so hard to break. Right. Yeah. It was so hard to break. So, um, you know, that's the benefit that came out of the pandemic, I think, too, is that we all had an opportunity to revisit our priorities um, and to look at what the definition of work really is. Mm-hmm. So. You're 100% right. And I believe you and I were in the same boat because I, I, I went through the same thing for over a decade. I was in healthcare, mm-hmm. And part of it was the... Um, you know, the monetary aspect of it, which we could go on for days about, about how poorly we pay healthcare workers, you know, but you'd have to pick up all, and I work third shift, the majority of that, you know, and so you were picking up shifts and, you know, you would go in at 10 o'clock at night and stay over until noon and you, and then, you know, you'd have a half hour drive home to shower, get six hours of sleep, eat and and come back. Yeah. And you felt like it was the same thing. Like you had to do it. Um, and you know, staffing issues. Yeah, it's always an issue in healthcare. Absolutely. You know, and then on top of it is the fact that you're 
surrounded by suffering. You're surrounded by pain. Um, and I think sometimes the worst part of that is how much you have to, you know, sort of callous yourself to it, Absolutely. you know, to, in order to function just to, you know, you, you get the gallows humor, but the majority of my time was spent in a level one trauma center. Wow. Um, and you end up disconnecting from humanity a little bit. You kind of have to, because the, you know, it, you're working in a chop shop, unfortunately. Yes. yes. Um, I'm so glad you brought that up, both suffering and, um, kind of developing that callousness to humanity because... I was in that same position. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent the first part of my nursing career as a wound care nurse. And oh, okay. I switched to working as a firefighter. Then I was in the ICU. Um, and it was just constant trauma after trauma after trauma. Mm-hmm. And at home, experiencing my own traumas. Yeah. So I had become the shell of a person. And, you know, when I look back now, I thought I was making critical decisions mm-hmm. under such dire stress. Yeah. And that's exactly what people are doing now. I see professionals all of the time making critical decisions with a brain that is not functioning. It's pure oatmeal it at is. that point. It you know? absolutely <laughs> is. And, you know, we know that cortisol, the stress hormone, is when it's bathing the brain from chronic stress, when it's bathing the brain, it blocks our ability to critical, critically think. Mm. It blocks our ability to have stable moods. And it certainly makes us really mean people yeah and so you know i'm i'm observing this whole pandemic and and how people are responding in so many different ways um, both in the beginning the middle and certainly now and i've boiled it down to two things one stress Mm. We're, we're all stressed in some way and so we respond out of an area of our values Mm -hmm. so when our values feel challenged we flip into fear mode and then we respond so all you have to do is pull up a news feed, pull up a, a heaven forbid, pull up a comment section. Oh my God. Gosh, I'm trying to stop. <laughs> I'm really trying to stop because I get heated and then I'm like, I gotta go. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at the comments, what's really underneath all of it is fear. Yeah. A stressed brain that is fearful that something important to them will be lost. Mm-hmm. And so since we all have different values, we all have different responses. Right. So the, the focus of my work is not to like change your values, it's not to change the way you think, um, it's not to change your response, it's really to calm your brain. Once you calm your brain, then we can kind of step back and go back to the foundations. Um, I guess if in a perfect world, what I would like to see is less cortisol in the world. <laughs> Everyone like, I want world peace. Well, yeah, that starts with less cortisol. Right, yeah. So uh, it's a big task, mm-hmm. but I, I certainly know that um, the work that I do is so valuable, and I, I get so much joy out of seeing people transformed. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you know, it's not just about being calm. I feel that not only are we able to do our work better, but we find out the purpose in our work. You know, I took a shift when um, probably in the last two to three years even where, you know, the first part of our life is more what can I get out of life? Mm-hmm. It's it's my like pocketbook. It's my sense of uh, whatever, it, my identity. But it's more what can the world give me? And all of a sudden I had this shift where it said, what is my contribution to the world? And that's really what I feel we're here for is our contribution. Mm-hmm to others, to your neighbor, to humanity as a whole, we all have a part to play. Mm-hmm. So that's a little it's bit of It's true. We are the community that we live in. 
yeah. you know, we reflect that. And I feel like, um, you know, that's, that's something that it, it troubles me because I feel like in some respects dealing with the pandemic has brought some of that back, mm-hmm. but not enough as I would think, you know, um, but going back to what you said earlier, gosh, I, I remember seeing this meme one time that you won't realize the amount of garbage that's in your community until you go through the comment section of a local news article. Oh, wow. <clears throat> and, and you articulated it like far better than I could have. But that's exactly what you see. Like, yeah. you know, there's just something this morning, I think, that was posted on WREX about the vaccine and how they're hoping that the FDA will have it approved even down to five-year-olds mm-hmm. by the end of the year. The comment section was just, it was on fire. And it's heartbreaking. It is. And yet what you said nails it, is that there's the underlying, you know, there's like a nuclear submarine right below the surface just cruising along. And that's 100% what it is. It's people responding to fear and responding by acknowledging that it's not, or trying to say that it's not real. And yes. uh, unfortunately doing backflips, backflips to justify it. Right. Um, and it's 100% true. And I wish, I really wish there was a way that we could be more honest about that. I really right. do, you know. And that takes a lot of deep work. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes a lot of deep work. And what I'm hearing you say echoes some of the work that I do that um, the, the brain always wants to be right, mm-hmm. no matter what. And, and as humans, none of us want to ever admit that we might be wrong. So no matter what, our brain will do everything possible to protect what we believe is right. Mm-hmm. And then you couple that with fear. And then you couple that with a stressed brain. And it's no wonder we're seeing what we're seeing in the comment sections. Mm-hmm. And we're going to just use the comment section as an analogy <laughs> for, for life right now. Yeah. Um, but it, it's disheartening. It's really disheartening because, um, you know, and today, what a special day um, that we're remembering, you know, 9-11. And I've seen so many people say, what about the day after? Remember how beautiful we all came together and we just embraced each other because as a nation, we were grieving together. Mm-hmm. Where did where did that go? It's still there. Yeah. But it's dampened mm-hmm. by the things you just shared. Mm-hmm. Well, it's always like, um, I, I feel like social media and the internet is a good and bad. I mean, right. it, you know, people complain about it. At this point, you know, you're not putting a toothpaste back in the tube. It is what it is, man. <laughs> um, and I think in a lot of ways it's brought us together mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways it's dividing us. Yeah. And it amazes me how I can walk down the sidewalk and bump into somebody I don't know and we can have a five-minute, very kind conversation, shake hands. All right, take care of yourself, bud. All right, you too. But if we didn't know each other and we met on opposite ends of the comment section, yes. <laughs> we'd be ready to go blows with each other. Right. And I think that um, that 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 really bothers me. You know, it weighs on my mind a lot. I sit and think about: Is there a way as a society we can sort of correct course? Because and it doesn't help the fact, and everybody knows this, that um, outrage sells. Right. You know, and so unfortunately, social media is full of clickbait right. and they word things in a certain way on both sides just to yes. get you riled up and angry. And and then, you know, nobody's more dangerous in a fight than the self-righteous. And so oh, when absolutely. both people go into it self-righteous, it's like you're not getting anywhere. You know, it's 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 it is so frustrating. It is frustrating. And, you know, I, I keep going back to, you know, again, because my focus is the brain um, and I, I see why people feel that way you know we become numb to negativity Mm -hmm. um there's a study that showed that over 80 percent of our thoughts are negative and over 95 percent are repetitive i can see that 
that makes a ton so of sense. So 95%, roughly 90 to 95% are repetitive negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. So the brain, it's so interesting that it's, the reason it can become pessimistic is for survival. Because we have to be able to, in a very you know short amount of time, in nanoseconds, be able to assess our situation and whether or not we can survive this. If it's and it's like not just globally, but is this person safe or unsafe? Are they good or bad? And that's it. That's mm -hmm. all the brain wants. Right. And so it's geared to point out the negative. Like you know, like if you see a picture, a group picture, who's the person you look for? You look for yourself. <laughs> you know, like, did how my hair look that way? You know, am I standing weird? You know, do I look fat in this picture? Whatever. We don't care about the other people. We care about ourselves, and that's a very human thing that we're very selfish for survival. Mm -hmm. So yes, to course correct. Do I think it's possible? Yes, because I want to remain optimistic that and hopeful that it's possible. But then I go to the comment section and I feel like, okay, maybe it's not. <laughs> we're, we're doomed, man. Know. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I suppose then I guess, um, yeah, what you said makes total sense. Evolutionarily speaking, that makes a ton of sense. Mm -hmm. You know, the people who, you know, going back thousands of years ago who were the most pessimistic and the most, well, that's not going to work. You're never going to survive that are the ones who probably most likely live to pass on their genes. Right. So. <laughs> and you know, that's, I, I love that you brought this up because um, there, you know, a lot of the work that I do also focuses on how our genes dictate our outcomes. Yeah. But what's interesting is there's been many studies to support this, that only 10% of our genes dictate the outcome. Okay. 90%, do you want to guess what the other 90% is? No. You don't want no, to. No, I want to hear right. you. <laughs> <laughs> Lifestyle. Okay. Yeah, I could what see that. What we're exposed to, what we eat, how we sleep, mm -hmm. how we move, how we breathe. Um, that's what actually dictates the expression of our genes. And so when you said that, you know, generations ago, um, they passed on these fears or these um, wirings, it's actually true. Um, one of my most favorite studies was one that there were, and I, I talk about it in my book, um, that... They took mice, male mice, and exposed them to the scent of cherry blossom, but they did it simultaneously by delivering small electric shocks. And so every time there was the scent, there was a small electric shock. It wasn't harmful, it was just uncomfortable. Then they took those same male mice and they bred them with female mice that had not gone through the study. And then they, they observed the offspring, and they took those offspring and they only exposed them to the scent of cherry blossom. Mm -hmm. Do you want to know what happened, what their response yeah, was? Yeah, I heard about this. Yeah, Did they you? freaked out, didn't they? They freaked out. Yeah. yeah. Their heart rate increased. They started getting anxious, running mm -hmm. around the cage, just with the scent. And that's yeah. the offspring yeah. of just one parent yeah. that went through that. And that's a subject that's fascinating. I'm trying to um, remember the term for it off the top of my head. Epigenetics. Epigenetics. Yes. That's what it was. That's what yeah. it was. Yeah. That's... Um, that I was listening to a podcast, and this goes back a couple of years ago, and what's first clued me into this, and it never thought to me before that something like that could ever be passed along. Like, in your head, mathematically, it doesn't make sense. Right. Like, why does that? Uh, but evolutionarily speaking, it makes a ton of sense, you know? I mean, that is just, you know, and um, I think that a lot of what we deal with, unfortunately, um, especially when it comes to like racism is tied to that. Mm -hmm. Now, evolutionarily speaking, 
a form of racism, a form of xenophobia makes sense. Mm -hmm. The people over the hill who don't look like you don't trust them Absolutely. because they're probably a threat. They want to come in and take what you have. And in a very resource scarce environment, that makes a ton of sense. Fast forward several thousand years to modern society and it's just... You're it's just, not necessary. You're just a jerk. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, um, and I don't know, like, to all the listeners out there, uh, thank God anybody's listened to this podcast before, they're aware that I'm kind of an idiot, so that's okay. Um, but one of the interesting things I, I remember this sociologist was talking about, that one of the theories that they have in related to epigenetics is that basically the more centered and the more older a town or a country is, the more tendency there is towards racism. Mm -hmm. Whereas the further you move, because... Racism is something that gets passed on genetically. Absolutely. It can be. So you go down generations where, and of course, a lot of people will say, and they're right, this is also reinforced societally and culturally. Absolutely. You know, if you have anywhere in the country, I'm not even necessarily talking black, white in America, mm -hmm. anywhere in the world mm -hmm. where there's two different kinds of people who don't like each other, that's reinforced culturally over the course of thousands of years. But then if you take a small group of people from each of those sides plant them somewhere else all the way around the world, it kind of disappears. It does. You know? Because all of a sudden, again, we neutralize the playing field a mm -hmm. little bit. Um, and, and I teach on that. You know, growing up on the south side of Chicago, um, I went to a private school that we had people from every country in our in my classroom. There were people, there was a girl from Holland that wore the little wooden shoes. Oh, cool. I mean, we just had the most incredible experience. So I didn't really... Have, there weren't many discussions about race in the way that we discuss it today. It was more an appreciation and a, and a value that we all brought to the table. So then fast forward when I moved to Pearl City at the age of 10 with no stop in the middle. There was not yeah. even like a stop in Rockford for gas. <laughs> we didn't, I had no clue what was going on and mm -hmm. I will never forget my first day of school when I walk in and I look around and I'm like, oh, everybody looks the same. Like, okay, well, whatever, no big deal. And all of a sudden, I was the one that looked different. Yeah. And all of the questions were, well, the first comment, I'll never forget, the first comment was, the only black person we know is Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. Are you related to him? <laughs> oh, God, oh, boy, oh, we no. learning to do. Oh, okay. no. So that's how far we're starting back. Yes, okay. oh, yes, wow. but you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. You know, it goes back to tribalism. You yeah. know, back in the day, if someone had a different color robe or a piercing in their face or different skin tone, you immediately knew they were from a different tribe. And mm -hmm. right, they couldn't be trusted until maybe that trust was established. Right. But now we, you know, our brain, again, just will form that snap judgment, safe, unsafe. And it's still rooted in that very rudimentary, um, primitive brain. But the way to, that we can do and overcome that is by consciously shifting the mm -hmm. thought and telling that little pea-sized thing in our brain called the amygdala, hey, it's okay, this person is not a threat. Mm -hmm. But it takes time. Yeah, and it's just like what you said earlier, that's the hardest thing because your brain doesn't want to admit it's wrong. No. That is like the hardest course correction that you have to make. And rewriting those neural pathways is yes. like you have to be extremely honest and self-reflective. Absolutely. of yourself it, it's something that's very hard to do and I, I tell people not to like grandiose or anything but um, I'm somewhat of a living testament to that if you'd have met me 10 years ago I was the biggest conservative on the planet 100% uh -huh. I was you know I voted for you know Bush twice and mm -hmm. was all about it and mm -hmm. um, I, but the one thing that I had going for me is I was a, a big big lover of science I loved science 
And I love the fact that while it's not always perfect, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, science always gets down to the answer. Right. You know, you're going to people out there who are going to do false studies and report stuff. Right. But if it's false, it's going to be found out to be false. Right. Exactly. Um, so I had to, I, I literally spent um, several months deciding that I was going to take each and every one of my political beliefs and examine it top to bottom. I'm going to look at the statistics. I'm going to look at the research that's been done on it. And I came out the other side, not just a liberal, but like a massive progressive. Like it was, that is such it, deep work. yeah, it, it was, it wasn't wow. easy because you pretty much have to stand and pardon me for saying this. You kind of have to look at your mirror and be like, I'm kind of a piece of shit. Yeah. You know? yeah. Maybe I shouldn't be like that. Yeah. Um, I can't believe I, and now it's like, there are times where I almost get like nauseated and laugh when I go back to my Facebook memories in 2009, I posted, well, these people just need to, da, da, da. I'd have been that guy in the comment section today if I hadn't done that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'd been like, listen, sheep, all you sheep taking this vaccine. What the hell's wrong with you? Trump 2024. Isn't you know? that crazy? But yeah. look at, so that shows, and I hope that people hear this. I hope so too. That it's possible mm -hmm. to change the way you think. Yeah. But it takes some deep, deep work and that long look in the mirror to at least come down to neutral. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go sway either direction, but at least come to neutral and say, you know what? Maybe. But most people are not willing to do no. that. No. And one of the hardest things about that that I think prevents people is the inevitable outcome of that is if you find out you're wrong, you in a way have to confront all of your friends about it. Yeah. At least the you know all the people that you had who you agreed with who now you now don't and vice versa, the people who thought you were a piece of shit for a long time and they yeah. were right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to then have that, man, oh, see, we tried to tell you. And you're like, dude, shut up. This is my path, not yours, you know? <laughs> and that goes back to the tribalism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because we don't want to be wrong. Right. And we want to belong. Mm -hmm. And so to disrupt that pattern that you've belonged in or that group that you've belonged in for so long, that sense of belonging, I mean, that's why gangs exist. Right. It's just a sense of belonging so that we can have a an identifier. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And so now you have to switch to the other side or at least maybe be in the middle. Uh, that's really hard. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like how can, um, if you were to look at it experimentally, like if you were an alien looking at Earth, there is no way in any experiment that street gangs would not exist. Right. You know, when you have an area that's economically depressed, mm -hmm. schools are underfunded, mm -hmm. public works are underfunded, mm -hmm. society's response with that is just pour on the police presence. Right. Eventually, you get to the point where you just feel ostracized from society right. or surrounded by people your age who feel the same way. Right. So how is that not going to turn into us against the world? Absolutely. Us against everybody. This is our turf. We have, I mean... It goes back to tribal. Yeah, 100%. It's yeah. insane. You know, so we are so, as humans, you know, to be as evolved as we think we are, we think we're so intelligent and so evolved. When you really break it down, we're still foundationally just these, like, mammals that have this... <laughs> right. This, it, we're kind of animalistic <laughs> yeah. in a way. Oh, big time. Um, and, yes, we have technology. We have all these great things that I'm so grateful for. But when it really comes down to what it means to be a human... We all want that sense of belonging, and when a certain group is oppressed, and that oppression can start very, very small. Mm -hmm. There are, I mean, so many studies um, about not just, well, mostly race. I mean, that's such an easy one to discuss because it's so obvious and prevalent, um, of children. And I don't know if you've heard of the, the doll study, the mm. D-O-L-L, -L, the doll study. So in the 70s, 
Um, they had a black doll and a white doll, and they, and they asked children of multiple races um, questions like, which one is the pretty one? Which one is the good one? Which one is the bad one? And they found that both black children and white children associated the black dolls more with a negative emotion. Really? Negative, yes, it's so saddening. So it's not, you know, where does that come from? Mm -hmm. Does that come from society? Does that come from the subtle cues in our environment and in our classrooms and in our boardrooms that somehow being of a certain category is less than? Yeah. Well, especially that being the 70s. I mean, the way African-Americans were presented in media and movies and everything else like that, it was, yeah, I could see that for sure. Yeah. Wow, that's... And that's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. You know, it's absolutely heartbreaking to me. Um, when I was a child, and I mean, we're talking like pre-kindergarten, mm -hmm. um, my closest friend in the world was African-American. His name mm -hmm. is Frederick Williams. Shout out to you, buddy. Aww. He's been on my podcast before. Um, and it was because we lived two houses down from each other. Mm -hmm. And as a, you know, four or five-year-old kid doesn't mean anything to you. Right. You know, we were just buds and we played all the time. And, and I went to... Um, in Freeport, I was going through the Catholic school system. Mm -hmm. So it was like 99.999999% white. Mm -hmm. um, and so we learned about stuff like Martin Luther King and that kind of stuff. And you just, you'd learn about Martin Luther King and about the civil rights movement and about slavery. And I remember just thinking to myself, God, I am so glad all that's behind us. Mm -hmm. Like all that racism is in the past. It is gone. It is over with. Isn't it great that we live in this new enlightened yeah. age? And then when I got to be like 12 and I heard NWA for the first time, I'm like, why are they so mad? Oh, it's still, it's still what, wow. you know, um, and probably like you in Pearl City, it was funny because I, at that age, I believe uh, before eighth grade or before seventh grade, we moved to Winnebago, which is a predominantly white school, yeah. especially at that time, especially yeah. in the, the early nineties. And, um, and it was interesting how I never once got a racist vibe off of anybody there, mm -hmm. um, until I was a sophomore and this military family moved in that had two twin boys who were African-American who just all of a sudden one day were in our school. Mm -hmm. And people were freaking out. And I couldn't figure out why they were freaking out. I'm like, dude, we were just in your car listening to Dr. Dre. Wow. Like, what are you upset about? Like, So it, it's okay if it's distant, yes, yes. but not okay if it's close. Right, yeah. Isn't yeah, interesting? and that was it, you know I'm not gonna keep going on with this, but yeah. it, it, interesting. It was the way my my grandfather was. My grandfather, um, who is <clears throat> excuse me, long since passed away, was one of the biggest racists I'd ever known in my life. He was a coal miner who lived in a county that to this day is like it's white. It's a white county. Yeah. It's a mountainous county, and the the only exposure that that community ever had with African Americans was when they were on a union strike and they would bus and African-Americans from the South. So to them, on top of the cultural way African-Americans were presented to him, it was just, you know, I remember he would get so mad because this was during the 90s, wow. you know? So I wanted, when we'd be out there visiting over the summer, I'd want to watch the Bulls. The Bulls were on a phenomenal run. Yes. And he would get so mad that I wanted to put the NBA on and I'm not going to repeat what he said sure, as to why. Sure. At the same time, to anybody who's a sports fan, because he lived a couple hours outside Pittsburgh, he would love the Pittsburgh Pirates. And Willie Stargell was his favorite player. Mm -hmm. Willie Sp Stargell was not Caucasian, folks. Right, right. And I remember asking my mom one time about this, and the best way she could explain it, you have to understand Willie Sturgill is a black, he's a Pittsburgh pirate. Mm -hmm. And just trying to wrap your brain around and unpack that mentality to this day, it just... Well, it kind of goes back to if it's if it fits within my value set, if it fits within my definition, yeah. it's acceptable and okay. If it's yeah. far enough away, uh -huh. it's okay. Yeah. 
But then if it's close, then no. Mm-hmm. I have been, I remember, oh my gosh, so many things that were said to me. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> uh, and I would just smile. They're like, okay. Um, I can remember an individual that we were friends and um, it was a male and he, a white male. And he had said to me, yeah, I could never date you. And I was like, oh, why? Is my hair too curly? Or am I too tall? Or like, what's, the, what's the deal? And he said, yeah, my family would never accept that. Mm. And I thought, oh, and I still was not clicking. I'm mm-hmm. like, what are you talking about? And uh, he said, no, my family doesn't believe in, in mixing races. And I said, oh, 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 but this is like within the last 10 years. Yeah. So I'm like, well, it's a good thing I'm not interested then. <laughs> It was just so hard for me to really like internalize mm-hmm. that this is still a belief. Yeah. It's still a belief and it makes me sad yeah. because we've missed so many opportunities to find out um, not just about other cultures, but just people. Like yeah. we, people have such rich stories mm-hmm. and we limit ourselves by only staying within our silos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just sad. Yeah, it really is. Especially when you think about it, like, I suppose when you back up and you look at the big picture, mm-hmm. you know, it, it makes so little sense. You know, a lot of, um, you could say something like rural white communities and urban African-American communities have separate cultures, mm-hmm. but why do those have to be at odds with each other? That's what never made any sense to me. None right. whatsoever. None, neither is better than the other. Right. Yeah. So you each have their perks. Yeah. So you, you, know? you, you like listening to Garth Brooks. Good for you. Yeah. Why does that mean that... Everything else outside of that sucks. Is bad, right? <laughs> and I guess that just you know the only semblance I can make of it is that the brain once again there's two boxes: yes, no, like me, not like me, good, bad, that's mm-hmm. it. And so if it's not in the good box, it must be bad. Well, and I feel like it's funny you say that because I've had this theory for the longest time that <clears throat> social media and the internet has highlighted that. Every single thing has to be either the greatest thing in the world or the worst thing in the world. Like it has to be put into those two categories. Yeah. You know, even even when it comes down to like movies, people the comment section. Somebody talking about a movie that just came out. It's got to be one of those two. Nobody it can't can, just be yeah, neutral. B minus. Yeah, it was good. You know who's really great for that is my husband. Oh yeah. I'll, like I, I I fall asleep in movies and so I can't really <laughs> stay connected. So when I tell him I'm watching a movie, I'm usually watching like um, Facebook videos. <laughs> but he, I'll say, oh, I, you know, babe, I saw this really great movie. I think you'll love it. And he's like, oh, I've seen it. And I was like, oh, what'd you think of it? He goes, eh, it was all right. You know, so I would always get frustrated because I think my brain wants to know, do you love it or do you hate it? Yeah. But he's just like, well, it was okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can just be okay with something. Yeah. You know, it's it's okay to not have this rational or irrational opinion. Yeah, something. you don't need to have a manifesto on everything no. that happens or comes out. No. You know, it's it's okay. Oh my gosh! And you know, like it's kind of like the weather. It doesn't matter. Someone will be upset. Yeah. It could be the most beautiful day, and someone will be upset because their garden needed water, mm-hmm. or because I had a children's birthday party, or because I wanted whatever. Right. We'll never be happy. Yeah. So, you know, I, I feel like with the work that I do and even my own personal work, it's finding gratitude and not finding gratitude for something, but just being grateful, mm-hmm. just neutral. It doesn't have to, you know, because we can form an attachment to something and then be grateful for it. But then when it's gone, then we're ungrateful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that kind of goes back to that whole, like, it's either good or bad. Right. And that takes work. 
Mm-hmm. You know, this morning I was meditating and I'm like, just be grateful. Mm-hmm. Just be grateful, period. Right. Um, and that takes work. Yeah. It's um, it's just like we were talking earlier, like rewriting the neural pathways. It's work. You want a nice, good set of abs? You got to work on that, man. <laughs> If you want to have a different outlook on life, you're not going to do three sit-ups and be ready for Muscle and Fitness Magazine. It's no, not going to happen. It isn't. It takes some work. It you know you sometimes, and this can be something as little like not forgetting your phone every time you leave the house. Right. To I need to stop thinking this way. Right. It repetition, 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 yes. repetition. Do it over and over and over again. Eventually your brain will just burn that new pathway in and say, this is the way we're doing things now. And then before you know it, you're doing it without thinking. Absolutely. And that's, and that's hard exactly, to do. Exactly. That's how we got to where we are. Mm-hmm. You know, I guarantee that you don't have to think about how to brush your teeth anymore. No. You just do it. Yeah. Because you've developed that pathway. So if we can, we, we've proven that we can develop pathways because if we look at our life, 95% of our habits are unconscious. So you're not even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. If you've done it once or twice before and it's deemed important, in your brain, you don't have to think about it anymore. So that 5% is what we're talking about. We're talking about that 5% (laughs) where we have to be deliberate. So some of the advice and suggestions I give to people is if you want to start that deliberate work, start with something as simple as grabbing your toothbrush with your non-dominant hand. Mm -hmm. Just feel that uncomfortableness. Be awkward. I'm going to get it all over my beard. Yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It is super awkward. Mm -hmm. And that's the same feeling the brain has when we're trying to do that deep work, when we're trying to switch the pathways and maybe look at things a little differently. It is awkward. Mm -hmm. Most people give up in the first 5%. Right. Because it's too much. Mm -hmm. It's too hard. I don't want to do it. I want to be right. Yeah. (laughs) Toddlers are like that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I don't want to wear that shirt. Yeah. And they will throw a fit. Mm -hmm. You know? So, at any rate, um, there was something I was going to mention about... um, You had said something and I lost it, so maybe we'll come back to it. Okay. That's that's really crazy. What... um, I'm interested in your take on, because you had said that you did meditation this morning. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested in sort of your take on that, your sort of philosophy behind it, what got you to start doing it, all that good stuff. Yes. Thank you for asking that yeah. question, because um, meditation is something that can be seen as very taboo and weird. Uh, people, A lot of people don't understand what it is. They like you just sit in a corner with your hands up in the air and sing OM. Um, that is one <laughs> form of meditation, but meditation is, is um, a practice that is bringing you into the present moment because as a human especially in in our country we are either in the future or in the past if we are feeling guilt shame depression um, we are often in the past if we are anxious worried um, we are in the future and so sitting with the present moment is the hardest because as, as North American humans, we have to be consumed at all times. We are inundated with the cacophony of our phones, of just constant information mm-hmm. in, but we're never just still. So about, well, I'm going to say three years ago was my, I would say my first time that I meditated and it was a train wreck. It was terrible. I felt like a child with ADD. Uh, I felt like a bouncy ball in a gymnasium. I couldn't sit still. Mm-hmm. My mind was going 100 miles an hour. Um, it, it was it was terrible because that's exactly what I needed. I needed to sit with that 
Um, I was going through a terrible experience at work that is in my book, and it was a coworker that said, why don't you come over before work and let's meditate? And I was like, let's meditate? Like it's a group thing? Right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Gonna get together and watch a movie? Yeah, I had no clue. What I learned through the process is, you know, again, it's it's bringing our mind into um, being mindful instead of being mindful. And so the style of meditation that I teach and that works best for me is the kind where I feel it's guided meditation, um, especially in the beginning. You know, it's hard to just sit and just sit. Mm-hmm. Don't think, don't do anything but breathe. And that can be really challenging. So. Um, I find that guided meditations work work best for me using something either called like a mantra or an intention of a focus so that when your thoughts start to stray, you come back to this as a ground, um, as a steadiness. Um, The other thing is that the breath, the breath is the only thing that we can simultaneously control or not control. And so when our mind is going wacky and our body is out of control, the breath is what brings them back together. So when we talked earlier about that union, mm-hmm. that's what yoga is. It's just that union um, together. So for me, meditation means coming back to my most authentic self. The person that I am without stress, the person I am without the world, you know, filling my head with not enoughness and negativity and everything else. It's, it's me without my to-do list. It's me without my name. It's just me, mm-hmm. the purest self. And so when I teach it, um, when I teach meditation and lead others through meditation, and I, I see the look on their face, they look like they've been using uh, chemicals <laughs> afterwards, <laughs> and they're like, what is this? And I say, it's you. Mm-hmm. It is you in your purest form. Um, so what I have noticed, the benefits of meditation, which are also supported by lots of different studies, um, it has you know more immediate benefits of things like lowering blood pressure, lowering stress hormones, um, improving your ability to breathe, which is essential to life, and um, helps you kind of put things in perspective. For sure, yeah. You know, I start to realize that, yeah, does it really matter? Does this really matter? Or mm-hmm. maybe I need to put more attention onto this. Yeah. So that's what it does for me. That's fantastic. Um, it's a subject that's been interesting to me, uh, mainly because I had um, a guest on a few months ago by the name of Courtney Ackerman, who wrote a book called Midnight Meditations, which is about basically a form of meditating to help you get better sleep, yes. you know, and that kind of stuff. And I found it really fascinating um, what she was describing, because she had said that one of the exercises she likes to do with people is try to imagine all of your thoughts like you're just laying on your back watching the clouds. Mm-hmm. And your thoughts are the clouds. You're just yeah. watching them go by. Yeah. You know, you can't wrestle with them. You don't have control. You think you do, but you don't. Right. So rather than dwelling on it, just Let gently them watch them go by. Yes. And I thought it was phenomenal that, and it was sort of like in the middle of that podcast, I realized that, oh my God, I've done meditating before and I didn't even realize it. And the weird thing is, is I backed into it um, unintentionally and unknowingly. And the whole way it started was sitting in a deer stand during deer season. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I found that when I, you know, because you'd get up there half hour before sunrise mm-hmm. and you'd be there till, you know, about sunset. So you're mm-hmm. up there for, you know, 12, 13, 14 hours. Mm-hmm. And it drove me insane as much as I wanted to hunt, as much as I wanted to be out there. Mentally, I was losing my mind because you're tapping your foot, you're checking your phone, yes. you ate the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you did, you check your phone some more. I re- Yeah, and then before you know it, like 15 minutes has passed and you're yes. like, oh my God. Um, so I found it like, 
extremely therapeutic to just like take a deep breath and just close your eyes and hey your knee aches a little bit from work last night yeah Yeah. that's there there's a what's the smells that are blowing in the breeze Mm -hmm. you know three trees over there's a squirrel that's really interested in something Mm -hmm. and the more you just kind of absorb and let all that take all that in um, it's phenomenal doing it outside how attuned you get to what's going on around you and then all of a sudden a leaf crunch 50 yards away makes you jump it's, like jeez so <laughs> yeah yes. you're like oh my god you know and then um and i found that to be like a really great exercise to do because a it's just you know even if you end up sitting up there like you think to yourself like that was a waste of a day like you sat in a tree stand all day long you didn't see a single thing you're not bringing any meat home was it a waste and yet i would get down and feel so refreshed mm-hmm. i'd feel so just like the battery was charged like we were talking yeah. earlier and just I had a, and even all the crap, all the anxieties that had been on my mind for weeks or months prior to were not necessarily gone, but in a better perspective. Softened. They were, yeah, they were softened and felt more confident and in control. Yeah. And um, I didn't realize necessarily that's what was happening until I'd done that podcast where then I'm like, holy cow, that's really cool. So whenever somebody says they're into meditating, I, want, I love to hear them talk about it because yes. it's such a fascinating subject to me now. And I wouldn't think it was prior to that, you know. That's so, so cool that you have a very tangible expression of, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you can put the word meditation on it, but that you've had that experience. Mm-hmm. Once someone has experienced it, you, it's almost like you can't describe it. Right. You can't describe I tried explaining to my husband the other day where I, quote unquote, went in my meditation. And I can't describe it because it's your own personal experience. Right. And I, I also found that I never realized I'm the observer of my thoughts. If I'm saying my thoughts, that means I am above them. It's like saying my shoe, my foot, my dog. That mm-hmm. means I'm above that. So my thoughts, I'm not my thoughts. Right. That's not how I'm defined. Mm-hmm. I'm not defined by my feelings. I'm having an experience as a human, and she said the thoughts are passing by, but I don't have to latch on to them and then make that a belief, because I do believe that our thoughts form a belief, and a belief forms a habit, Mm -hmm. and then we're stuck. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So then in order to break that, we have to trace our steps back to the thought. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, it's pretty fascinating, the practice, you know, I always, I try to tell people, give yourself grace and space because it is, it's not easy at first. You know, you're like, am I, and then, then there's the, am I doing this right? What am I supposed to be feeling? Yeah. Oh, you know, what am I supposed <laughs> to be thinking? It's your own personal practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's saved my life. It's absolutely saved my life. I, I joked with someone the other day that I practice yoga and meditation so that I'm a nicer person. Now, granted, I'm a nice person, but I, I'm my edges are softer mm-hmm. when I meditate. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially coming from the background of the medical field. Yeah. You know, and it's it's interesting to me that um, how much you said about that, going back to like almost where we started. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, because I feel like in a lot of ways we had a lot of the the same experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I had added on top of it, I you know, and I don't know how much this relates to your situation, is while I was working this job while I was going through all this I was on top of it an abusive relationship on top of it who had zero empathy for what I was going through had zero tolerance for anything 
And then that just like, then you, you're just getting it from both sides. Yeah, so your it, shell gets harder mm -hmm. and thicker, faster. And I literally got to a point where I did not like who I was. Oh, like there was not, I didn't have, I had very little joy in my life. Mm -hmm. And it just, you know, and I, I, that's why I sympathize with people who are in that position because you feel like you're just being crushed. You're just being yes. crushed. You're being crushed by economics. You're being crushed by, you know, emotionally. Everything is just crushing you and grinding you into powder. Nice. And um, yeah, any way, shape, or form people can find to find help with that. And that's why I, I love doing podcasts with people as yourself because anybody's out there listening. Um, you know, I have friends who go through some of that stuff and I, I do my best, you know, to try and talk them through some of that, but I'm not the best at it. And I know other people are. Sure. So that's why I love having people like you on the podcast. So some of these friends will listen to it and hopefully encourage them to look into this stuff even more because it's, I think it, it's, it's underrated. It's not, it's so powerful and people don't understand a lot. It's just like you said about not wanting to be wrong. People don't want to admit that they have issues or they have yes. a problem and yes. you, it doesn't have to be a major problem, No. but sometimes just the tiniest tweak, you know, if you're, you're pushing the shopping cart and one of the wheels is doing the wobbly thing, it drives you nuts. That minor adjustment, all of a sudden you're not irritated your whole shopping trip, right? That is such a great analogy. Uh-huh. And it's just taking the time mm -hmm. and the conscious effort to make that small adjustment. Mm -hmm. You know, one question I like to ask people is, what would it look like if your life was 10% calmer, 10% more joy? What would that look like? Because we can, well, none of us are at 100%. Right. Even myself, I'm a practitioner of this daily. I teach it. I'm never at 100%. It's a constant work. But what would your life look like? If it was 10% calmer, mm -hmm. usually the return is 90% more yeah. of something else. Because when we're calmer, when our brains are operating the way they should, um, when we find that joy in our life, when we're activating our purpose, when we're in tune with our values, we are living life to the fullest. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, you may not have all the money in the bank, and you may not have the greatest house, and you may not have all these other things that society tells you is equated with success but man if you could have inner peace and inner joy it's priceless yeah and so many people like you said are just just pause and just ask yourself that question and if the question is not a resounding yes I'm thriving yes I have uh, the most joy that I could possibly have right now then ask yourself what needs to change mm -hmm. and it's usually people know right away List the top five things that are stressing you out. And if they're not in alignment with what you feel is most important to you, that's why you're stressed. Mm -hmm. And most people will say work. Yes, they will. And unless your job is your passion, why are you letting it stress you out? Yeah. I say that to people all the time. Yes. You know, I, I've got a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, and his absolute passion is woodworking. He loves doing woodworking. And he's so phenomenal at it. Some of the stuff he has done. His paying gig is he's a semi-driver. Oh. And we will talk all the time. He's like, man, I haven't been in my wood shop in weeks. We're so short-staffed at work. I'm picking up extra routes. And, you know, I'm in definitely no position to tell anybody what to do. But, mm -hmm. you know, I told him, I'm like, dude, stop. Yes. Like, you don't want to be on your deathbed saying, I wish. I yeah, would. I didn't get done half the stuff I wanted to. But, God, I was a great employee there for a while. Man, I was a great truck driver. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, truck drivers are, are important. Mm -hmm. My God, we are not knocking that field. It's right. important. But you, I mean, that individual knows what his passion and his purpose mm -hmm. is and what brings him joy. Um, and, that, and that's so hard because a lot of people, the reason they don't do it is fear. 
Yeah. And I was in that same position. Mm-hmm. I left the corporate world and I jumped into the ocean into into the work that I do. Um, and I was like, am I going to make it? Yeah. Am I failing? Because I, I didn't go along with, you know, how the, everyone else is, is expressing their nursing degree. I'm like, you know what? I've never really fit into a box. So I think I'm just going to go ahead and make my own box. Yeah, absolutely. You know? But um, it's, it's sad because I see so many talented people mm-hmm. that just, you know, you, it, you have to get to a point where does your five to nine become your nine to five. Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe it will, maybe it won't. Maybe you still make it your five to nine, but have something that you enjoy. Mm-hmm. My mom says that I, she's like, you know, Elizabeth, what I, if I had to say anything that you're really good at is you're really good at convincing people, and not convincing people, but encouraging people to quit their jobs. <laughs> I was like, oops. Well, that's because I helped them to identify their purpose and yeah. they find that it's not in alignment with their job. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the job pays the bills, but at the end of the day, what is it? Yeah, and we've got this like um, bizarre societal conditioning this almost like Stockholm syndrome with our jobs, yes. right? Yes. Where with the company says they need us, then we are honor bound as a sense of duty to like, it's not my fault you didn't hire enough people. Absolutely. You know, you, that was one of the hardest things that I had to learn was that boundary. They're like, sorry boss, hard no. I'm not yes. working Saturday. Yes. Why, do you have something going on? Doesn't matter. No, that's, <laughs> and I'm, I'm trying to get my husband to, because he, you know, like you said earlier about the hard work ethic and, um, it doesn't have anything to do with how hard you work. It has more of preserving your own energy, mm-hmm. your own boundaries, and that it's okay to have boundaries. Right. Um, but I'm like, honey, do you have to be there? Mm-hmm. Well, the company can't run without me. I'm like, oh, I bet you they can. They'll figure it out. They'll figure it yeah. out. Mm-hmm. And that's so hard because you know we want to you know be reliable employees and things like that. So we're not saying just don't show up to work, um, but it is creating that safe boundary. Well, you, you fight against that laziness, right? Yes. Like if I don't commit, I'm lazy. If I don't commit, I'm not a good coworker. You know, all these layers of guilt that society has taught us that you are if you don't do what authority asks you to do. And it's, you know, it drives, I try and tell people all the time, like you need to work to live. You don't live to work. Yes. And that's, you know, I, I feel so bad. I've got this guy I work with. And he's the nicest guy in the world. And, you know, he's got, he's got a stay at home wife and he just had a baby and he just bought her like a $30,000 car and just bought a $200,000 house. And so now he's working 12 hour days and working six hour days on Saturday to pay for it all. And I'm like, your that's kid wants thing. to see you too, man. Yes. You know, that's... That's what you won't get back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't get our time back. We don't get our relationships back. We can get another house. Right. We can get another car. Mm-hmm. You know, and but it, that takes time to, to shift that, you know, the how it shifted for me... Um, and I never have been a materialistic person, but I have been under that pressure of society right. that you have to have this and make sure you do this, especially as a woman. I mean, I think men face a different type of pressure. It's more of the providing pressure. Yeah. Ours is the performance and the, the outward appearance pressure. Right. And um, I had a car, uh, let's see, this was a year, actually a year ago this month, and I was so happy. I paid it off and I worked really hard, paid it off early, and I got a uh, a phone call from the chief of police here in town. He's like, are you home? And I was actually meditating, uh, but I didn't know it because I had my headphones on. Uh-huh. I didn't know they were at my house. He's like, are you home? Like, we're here. And I was like, oh, Lord. I was like, I didn't do anything. I know I didn't do anything. So I go downstairs, and there's like three cops out there, and they're like, we're really sorry to inform you, but someone hit your car. And I was like, okay. 
and they were so shocked at my response. Mm-hmm. Now, five years ago, my response would have been, are you kidding me? How am I going to get to work? And yeah. what are they doing? And blah, 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 because I was in a stressed brain. Mm-hmm. So when I said, okay, it really, I realized in myself the transformation that had happened. Now, I was with, without a car for, you know, 10 days, and um, what ended up happening is I got a, a better car, my first foreign car. So I was like, oh, I don't know, foreign cars, can I handle it? My first foreign car was a better car, it was still paid off, and like it all worked out. Mm-hmm. It's a car. Yeah. Am I okay? Is the other person okay? Then that's all. Yeah, matters. let's move on. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's all replaceable. Yeah. Human life is not. That's it's so funny you say that because um, a while back I bought a new car. Mm-hmm. It's funny you say that, and I was so excited. Here is this nice gleaming thing, and it got to the point where every time I drove it or every time I looked at it, I was so occupied. Mm-hmm. Like, did a scratch get on? Does it need a wash? Do I need to wax it? Mm-hmm. And after a while, I got frustrated with myself. Like, I am suddenly like emotionally and mentally beholden to this hunk of plastic and metal. Mm-hmm. I almost wish it would get a big scratch on it, so yeah. I'd stop freaking worrying about yeah. it. Like, who cares? Yeah. In five years, I'm not going to have it anyway. Exactly. And yet, here I am getting irritated when somebody in the parking lot parks too close to me. It's you know, or, or it's you know parked on the street in front of my house and somebody drives by too fast, and I've got a quick look out the window and make sure they didn't... like. All that undue stress. Yes, for no reason. Yeah. None. And my Audi has so many scratches on it. It's got a big old dent on the side, and I'm I love it mm-hmm. because I don't ever. Then that I it's it's alleviated that stress for mm-hmm. me. That I'm like, oh look, a little rust spot. Oh look, a little dent. Cool. Yeah. And I, I put a scratch in it myself. I was brushing off some ice, and I mm-hmm. used the opposite end of the scraper and put a big old scratch in it. I'm like, oh look at that. Yeah. That's pretty. Oh, oh. I call it character. <laughs> it like that's character. how you know it's mine. <laughs> You know, but there's on the on the flip side of that, there's also that societal pressure. Yeah. Take care of your car. Yeah. You know, like oh, it looks like your car's got a little bit of rust on it. It's metal. It, it happens. Yes. What do you want? I got some rust on me. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not a spring chicken anymore. Trust right, me. <laughs> right, exactly. So it just you know it goes back to for me it just goes back to your values. Mm-hmm. You know, but we can easily get twisted and um, get sucked into what society feels is the standard. Mm-hmm. And I'm a pattern interrupter. I, I, that's really like, I'm, I'm still one of the only ones in my town. I'm the only one that looks like me in my town. There's a few people that are starting to come into the town and I get excited because I'm like, hey, let's be friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm a pattern interrupter. I've never fit into a one box. I've kind of done things a little bit um, paradoxically and now I'm embracing it. It's been hard to be, I, someone told me that I was a petunia in an onion patch. Oh, like, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but onions stink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I took it as a compliment, but I'm like, you know how hard it is sometimes to be the petunia in the onion patch when onions are the accepted. Yeah, it's or, true. Yeah. Or the norm or the, the majority. Yeah. Um, so now I'm embracing my petunia hood. Good for you. And, um, and just trying to be authentic every yeah, single day. Yeah, have to be. Yeah, that's really what's most important to me. And um, when I see that in someone else, that they're willing to have those tough conversations that aren't easy, that the brain wants to fight, I just applaud them so much. Mm-hmm. So if any of you out there are just wrestling with that, just know it's okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm always a safe person. James, you're probably a safe person too to I have so. these conversations with. Mm-hmm. And that's the hardest thing. And I think a lot of us, um, Far too many people have been there where you feel like, you know, inside yourself, you're one type of person who wants to do this, but 
all of your friends and family and society around you expects you to act this way. So you just go along with it because maybe you're a little insecure about it. Um, I think a lot of it uh, sometimes can come down to um, early childhood experiences Absolutely. in terms of like, you know, I went through that and I'm not here trying to boohoo, but I went through that. I was bullied a lot through elementary yeah. school and middle yeah. school. And so as I got older and I realized like I was a massive nerd. Like there was a part of you that had to keep that covered up because you didn't, you know, that the old fears of knowing that if you take one step off the path, you're going to catch hell for it. Yeah. And then you just realize, well, I don't care. Yeah. Like bring, I, bring on the hell, all, all you want. Yeah. yeah. I remember, yeah, I was bullied also. And I remember the silliest things getting bullied for was three things. Uh, my hair, which is, and those of you who haven't seen it, it's crazy. And during the summertime it can be crazier, but it was so different from everyone mm. else's. Um, my skin color and what I found was interesting is that the girls and like that I knew were all going tanning. But I'm like, you're making fun of my skin color. And then they're getting perms. Yeah. But my like, hair is curly. But and then the third thing was my wrist, because my wrists are really small. And I thought those are the only three things that you can find mm -hmm. about me, then I guess I'm doing okay because those are the things I was that's just my physical appearance mm -hmm. has nothing to do with my intelligence, my integrity. Or anything about me, my my joy, you can't touch that. Right. Yeah. And so I I've, I've now figured that out. You know, you hit forty, I think, and all of a sudden this explosion. Of wisdom <laughs> I'm like, whoa, it's right. Yeah. With the gray hair comes the wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. And you can retrospectively look back and like, I get it now. Yeah. You just you hit that magic point where you're like, yeah. I'm too old to deal with this shit. Oh, like, I, know. I don't I care. I just told my friend yesterday, we went on a hike. She's from the Chicagoland area and she's about our age and she's going through this major transformation in her life. And that was literally what we said. It's like, I don't have time for this. Yeah. I don't mm -hmm. have time. We're half, if we're lucky, we have half of our life left. Yeah. And uh, I don't have time. Mm -hmm. So I'm not wasting my time. Amen. Either on mm -hmm. anything that does not give me back joy. Right. Absolutely. Because what's the point? Exactly. You know, you're robbing yourself of joy to make oh. other people happy. And the reason you're insecure is because you've been bullied by insecure people. Yes. Which is what it all it's all rooted it in. All, you know? It all goes all back to fear. Mm -hmm. Yep. I don't want someone to be better than me. Yeah, I don't want to be picked on, so I'm going to make the people who would pick on me laugh while I pick on somebody yeah, else. You know? That makes sense. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's adolescence for you. So. It is. So... <laughs> You know that's tough because like at you know children and, and adolescents now are dealing with way I feel way more stress than we had to deal oh, with yeah. um, when we were growing up like in junior high and high school I don't remember being aware of the world's problems yeah they probably were happening yeah but we were somehow shielded from that and yeah. it was okay to still build forts mm -hmm. and it was fun and you could escape in that way and now kids are just bombarded with every everything that we talked about the comment section they're seeing it, and I'm just sorry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm just sorry that they have to live and grow up in a world like mm -hmm. this. You know, even when it's something that should be joyful, like, um, you know, scrolling through TikTok or YouTube to mm -hmm. find ways to make you laugh or things that you think are cool, and, and inevitably there's somebody angry, yeah. yelling about something that yes. probably isn't important to begin with. Right. I mean, maybe it is. I don't yeah, know. Very but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Where well, they should be going for those, you know. Here's the thing too: like we all need a safe place, a safe place, mm -hmm. you know. And for many of us, um, we look at our homes as our safe place. And for many of us, our home is not or was not our safe place. Right. 
And then schools. We always think, oh, well, school, safe. You know, I never have to worry about anything. And we now know in the last 10 to 15 years, that's not the case. Then you think maybe at work, okay? I don't want to think of work as home, but maybe that'll be my safe place. That's not safe. Mm -hmm. So we're all reaching for a safe space to be, and it's getting harder and harder to find. It's like the base layer of the hierarchy of needs, right? You know, just some place where free of judgment, free of... You know, where you can just be. Just be and yeah. breathe. Mm-hmm. And we're all holding our breath. Yeah. Humanity has been holding their breath. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I really just see this collective heartbeat of humanity. Um, I think the heartbeat of humanity has a dysrhythmia. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we are just all beating, you know, each yes. chamber is, be- or, you know, just beating at their own tune and in their own rhythm. And it's the output is suffering. And each chamber is yelling at the other one to get their shit together. No, you know, if we could just look at ourselves like the heart and just be like, okay, everybody stop. Let's let's you know put the paddles on. Mm -hmm. Everybody stop and let's resync. Yeah, and just get to this common goal. Mm -hmm. And you can still beat with the strength of your particular chamber, right? What your strength is. Mm -hmm. But let's get on the same wavelength. Well, that's the base that we need to get to. You know, because I think about that all the time. Like I can, I can look at somebody who, again, to the comment section, who I disagree with wholeheartedly. And I think to myself, at the end of the day, when you boil it down to its basic, most bare bones, me and this guy want the same thing. Yeah. We love our children. Yeah. We want society to be safe. Yeah. We want the people around us to be safe. And we want to be happy. And we want to be happy. Mm-hmm. So why are we screaming at each other? Right. Why? You know? And maybe that's a question that needs to be answered. Mm-hmm. And maybe this this you know this podcast today will be able to challenge some of these thoughts um, and, and encourage people to just stop. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought that last year was going to be the thing that really shook us up enough to shake us back together. Mm-hmm. Not quite seeing it yet. Yeah. But um, it has to. I mean, everything in nature, the natural laws um, of chaos, mean that there is that shaking to bring it back into balance. So I'm just hopeful that maybe that balance will come. I hope so. I do. And I hope it's in my lifetime. Yeah. And that's why I do the work I do. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, guys, come on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do this. Um, But yeah, I think that really you're right. That is the foundational thing. We all really want the same thing. Mm Mm-hmm. It just looks a little different. Right. You know, and um, it's, I, I, I love the phrase, um, be the change you want to be in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's so cliche. And I think, unfortunately, social media inundates us with cliches right. and motivational every day mm-hmm. that, unfortunately, just like bad stuff, we become numb to it. Yeah. Like you see it, you'll be scrolling, you'll see it, and you go, yeah, that's right. And you keep going. Right. You don't let it sink in. Right. You got to let the stain sink into the wood, man. You know, and really reflect on what that means and make it personal. Yeah. And make it a neural pathway thing. You know, every day for the next 90 days, I'm going to attempt to, you know, just because we have to start with those baby steps. Yeah. You know, we're as a society, even if we all agree, we are not going to wake up and then tomorrow everything's going to be better. No. This is a law that we're playing the long game here, guys. You know, it's like long term investments. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're into the stock market, then you know your your day traders are in to get in and get out. Well, your long term investments take time. It takes the ups and downs. It takes the fear. It takes all the joys. It takes it all collectively. And you have to be willing to commit to the long haul. You know, when I'm working with individuals um, for health coaching, that's one of the things that we talk about is habit stacking. 
you start with the smallest, most seemingly insignificant habit and implement it into your lifestyle, so into your everyday. So maybe it's waking up and instead of you know heading right to your phone, you do one minute of breathing. Mm-hmm. And you do that and you continue that. And then once that's a habit, then you implement the next. Mm-hmm. So it does, it takes time. You know, I, in my book I talk about how when we are trying to heal um, our ne- neurological system, our disease, you know, like whatever it is that we're, we're faced with, it takes about a month for every year that you will unwell. Okay. So that's kind of a good rule yeah. of thumb. You uh-huh. know, uh, if, it were, if you've been dealing with something, let's say it's anxiety for seven years, give yourself seven months of habit stacking mm-hmm. and intentional practices before you may see a, you know, a full return. And again, 10% better. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? We're so all much. capable of 10%. For sure. Yeah. Just got to be honest and put the work in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. when you feel like, you know, that you can't do it by yourself and you need support, you don't have the support, that's where people like me come in handy. Mm-hmm. It's like we walk through that with you so that you don't feel like you have to do it alone. Or a lot of people are like, I don't know where to start. Yeah. <laughs> where, you know, it's so <clears throat> such a big thing. Where do you even start? Right. Um, I'm somebody that has been through it. I didn't have someone to, to walk with me. And so I had to do the longer, harder, deeper work. But now I have methods and practices to kind of fast track that for people. Mm -hmm. And it's not, um, I think, you know, it it starts in the mind. You have to believe that it's possible. And that's the hardest part because we all become hopeless. If we've seen it happen, you know, you mentioned getting numb to something. I found myself guilty of that too. Like you'd see a bad news report. I go, another school shooting. And you move on, you move on. Wait, wait, what? Yeah. What? We need to pattern interrupt mm-hmm. and slow those thumbs down <laughs> mm-hmm. because we can so easily get stuck in being numb to things that need our attention. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it does start with our frame of thought. And again, I don't believe that's possible. So we look on brain. Yeah. Well, and we listen to ourselves. Unfortunately, it's so easy after a long day to be sitting there thinking, oh, I did this wrong today. I did that wrong today. Oh, God, look at this new story. Yeah, look at this new story. Oh, my God. God, I'm such a piece of shit. And then you just go to bed with that thought. And, you know, sometimes I, I found how insanely healthy it is to just be laying there before bed and be like, yep, shit day. Yep. Get up tomorrow. New day. New day. That I mean, just that little bit. And sometimes I just say, you know, you were off your game today, you know, you know, some of the, you know, some of the, it's amazing being, I don't know, I don't know if you are, I'm a humongous baseball fan. Yeah. And if you had a 300 batting average, you're going to the hall of fame. A 300 batting average means you failed seven out of 10 times Correct. and that's okay. Yes. You know, and so you have to tell yourself that a lot rather than dwell. And it was the same thing with Michael Jordan. I thought it was yes. great you brought him up earlier because yeah. he's, he's like my icon. Yeah. Um, anytime you ask him about his career, he will talk about the thousands of shots that he missed. Mm-hmm. And that you don't say that to get down on yourself, no. but also say even the greats are going to mess up. Absolutely. Even the greats are going to have their off days. You know, every once in a while the signal is going to be a little off and, and that's okay. The because point is, human. yeah, exactly. And we're fallible. if we've proven anything it's that we're as a species we are fallible individuals and that i think i think um 
God, I don't know if you're a Ted Lasso fan. Have no, you seen that show? No, I haven't. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's one of the most phenomenal shows in the world. Um, have you heard of it? No. Oh, gosh. Gosh, what? I haven't <laughs> yes, heard of it. It's on Apple TV. Okay. It's uh, Jason Sudeikis, um, who's formerly of Saturday Night Live. Yes, I know who he is. And he plays a Oklahoma Division II college football coach who takes a job coaching a soccer team in England. Whoa. Which seems <laughs> like, which, okay, we're fish out of water yeah. right off the bat. It is one of those shows that I honestly feel is the kind of show that America needs right now because him as a character is the most uplifting, constantly positive, no matter what. And now that we're into season two, you get the feeling that despite everything that's going on and despite everything that's happening, <clears throat> him just being who he is makes everybody around him better. Wow. And that's why even though knowing nothing about soccer, he took this job because either the mentality is sort of it doesn't matter. Yeah. The players know what they're doing. Uh -huh. If I can uplift them and get them to be the best people that they are, the wins and losses will take care of themselves. And it is such a good show. And at one point in time, the only reason I brought this up is because he mentions to somebody who uh, made a stupid mistake. And he, he told him, he pulled him aside as a coach. He said, you know what? My, my favorite animal in the animal kingdom is the goldfish. It's got a 10-second memory. It doesn't care. It's already forgotten what it did. So go out there and be a goldfish. Isn't that, <laughs> yeah. And be good in the moment. Yeah. Yes. Just be in the moment. Mm -hmm. it, we don't have to think about, and that, you know, that goes to think uh, or to talk about like flow state. Oh yes, like you alpha know? waves and yes. yeah. I'm all about that yeah. stuff. Oh, it's and fascinating. It is absolutely fascinating. Uh -huh. Most people have no idea about their own brain waves. Oh yeah, their own brain anatomy or mm -hmm. structure. Um, but that's so interesting because um, that you don't have to have it all together. Mm -hmm. You don't have to know it all. You don't have to. But we're so, we beat ourselves up so much to think that we have to, in order to do this, like, you know, the equation has to be perfect. I have to do this in order to do this. You know, so I'm thinking here, he's, he's going in to teach, you know, you said soccer. Yeah. Right? And I, I, oh my gosh, I feel like a fish out of water. Right. But isn't it true that it is just our attitude and our response? Mm -hmm. um, when we think about how we're all put into different situations, again, we want to do what's comfortable. None of us want to have to grab the pen with our non-dominant hand. Mm -hmm. But it's our choice. Yeah. So we all, like, we have to remember, like, a lot of people, you hear this now, we're talking about freedom. Everybody wants their freedom. You have a lot of freedom. Oh, for sure. Choice. Yeah. And our freedom is not for us. It goes back to, I feel, our contribution. Mm -hmm. I have a privilege to be able to do X, Y, Z. That's not for me. Yeah. I get to get some enjoyment out of it, but it's not for me. Right, yeah. It's 100% true. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's just, those are my two cents about about that. But it's it's been such a cool journey um, to see, like, this little kid from Chicago who became um, the only one in her in her town to then being a teen mom. So, you know that stereotype. Yeah. Was, you know. Oh, you screwed up. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And it took me a long time to let go of that guilt. Well, I'm glad you did. Oh Some people still gosh. haven't. You oh, know? It, was, it ate me alive. Mm -hmm. I really do think it propelled my um, my desire to persevere in my success because I always felt like I needed to beat the stereotype at all times. Mm. So, you know, to go from that, to go to completely burn out, stressed out, um, affecting me physically, mentally, in every way in between, relationally, to now be where I am now. And I don't have it all together. 
I have not hit my peak. I feel like I'm just getting started. Good. My, you know, I teach resilience. My resilience foundation is now flexible enough that when I fall, it's not going to hurt as bad. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be able to get up quicker. And so that's kind of what I was thinking about when we were sharing that story is it's about our resilience. And all of us had our resilience tested last year because we didn't have time to prepare. Right. So we're only as resilient as our most foundational coping skill. I had a, a nursing instructor tell me during our psychiatric nursing class, she said, we're all just one coping skill away from institution, from alcoholism, from whatever. We're one coping skill away. That's so true. And so when you kind of put that in perspective, you're like, oh, crap, I need to, ooh, maybe I might I take my judgment glasses off a little bit mm-hmm. and understand you know, one question I've, I've been trying to challenge myself with is, you know, we, especially in this last year and a half, we're like, why are they like that? Why is this person like this? You know, we tend to ask that question and it could be anything even unrelated to politics. Or yeah, pathetic. for sure. The question I've been asking myself now is what happened to them that those were their only choices to respond? And that changes everything because we have no idea. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what your upbringing was. Uh, what your resources were, what you were able to pull from to survive. Mm-hmm. And so when you ask that question, it kind of softens. You know, again, it lessens the sting and tells the brain, maybe they're not as different from me mm-hmm. than I thought. True. Because like I said, we all want the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's just we, we end up such a, a chemical experiment from genetics, from childhood to trauma to cultural influences to tribalism to all that, you put it in a mixer and shake it up and then dump it out, and <laughs> we're all going to look very different, yeah. you know. And we're all going to approach things differently. And and on the flip side, a lot of us are going to look very much similar, dependent upon if we had the same, you know, sort of <clears throat> many different factors that could have contributed to us. And I think that, um, <clears throat> excuse me again, that's one of the hardest things is understanding that somebody who your snap judgment may be that person's an idiot, mm-hmm. that person's a jerk, mm-hmm. that person's whatever, is trying to instead just pause and, you know, sort of take that moment and be like, where are they coming from? Yeah. What is it that they're trying to communicate? Right. Why are they trying to communicate it in that way? Um, and that's, I feel like as a society, we could accomplish so much more if more people just, Take a breath first before responding. You know what I mean? You're preaching now. You know? That's, that's exactly, that's, I fully believe in that. If we can just pause and literally what you said, take a breath. Mm-hmm. Before we respond, before we have that snap judgment, just pause and ask that question. What Obviously something is important to them that's being challenged. Right. A, a pain point for them has been challenged and it's different than mine. And you know what? It's okay. Mm-hmm. We don't always have to agree. We'll probably never all agree on all points. And that's part of what makes us beautiful and diverse. For sure. And it keeps the world going. Can mm-hmm. you imagine if we were all the same? How boring and erotic oh, that Lord. would be. Oh, Lord. Yeah. You know? There would be nothing. <laughs> you, know, it, you know, my youngest daughter, she, she's going into political science and international relations. Oh, okay. And wow. her, yeah, she's amazing because she, her belief is you know she her father is very conservative um myself her mother very very diverse 
And so she has like both worlds. Mm. She grew up with both worlds. Okay. And she would say like, mom, I just want to stand on a street corner and um, I just want to debate with people. Mm -hmm. It just, it it fires me up. It it makes me thrive. But she says, I always pause to see someone else's viewpoint. Mm -hmm. I try to always see someone else's viewpoint, but she is one that she will probably be on the news within the next five years. Good. Good. I'm so proud of her. I see her. I'll be like, I know her mom. Yes. It's so awesome. Yes. And what's really cool is her name is Unisex, and she also is ethnically ambiguous. Okay. So on paper, and even meeting her, no one will have a clue what to expect. She's like the new human being. She is. She's like the next stage of human evolution yes. right there. Yes, if you've seen those like images, like Time Magazine has created like um, a photorealistic version of what the new human or the new American will look like, it literally is her. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So she's got green eyes, curly hair, olive <laughs> skin, and you can't tell what she is. I'll get to witness Ground Zero on this. I know, right? <laughs> right? So it's just really cool to see this new generation. I hope that they're taking everything that's happening and using it to empower the movements of how we can come back together. Right. You know, that natural chaos in nature, apply it with humanity and let's get back to balance. Mm -hmm. Amen. So. Amen. That's my hope. Yeah. Well, we are, uh, we're definitely on, on the time clock here. We, we went over and that's great. Cause that's a sign. That's a good, that it's a good podcast. So, um, well, I can't thank you enough for letting me, come into your office and into your life and you know this is time of your life you will never get back um i tell my listeners that all the time i'm so sorry that all the choices you've made in your life led you to listening to my podcast right now but i hope you enjoyed it hope you got something out of it so again thank you thank you so much um and uh yeah uh, anything you want to say to folks on the way out you know i think the the biggest thing the take-home message is to just pause Mm. Pause and take a breath in every decision. Um, and when you're feeling stress in your body, when you're getting ready to maybe push something out of your mouth, um, remember that whatever is in the heart and in the mind gets pushed out of the mouth. So just take a breath, take a pause, reevaluate, and then respond. Mm-hmm. And maybe not respond. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. And that it's okay to live. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's okay to live. It's okay to be you. And it's okay not to respond all the time. Yeah. You know, absolutely. just like you just said. Like, you don't have to comment. No. Don't no. feed the fire. No. Quote absolutely. Billy Joel, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, folks. Okay, so that was the episode with Elizabeth. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I certainly did. There's definitely going to be more episodes coming, so please stay tuned. Um, If you're listening to this podcast and you're enjoying it, if you could do me a favor, like, share, tell a friend, tell them to tell a friend. And if you happen to be listening to this on an Apple device, there's a spot up in the corner to leave a review. If you could do that, that would be fantastic as well. But before I go, I want to tell all of you that I love you, and I hope you take care of each other, and we will talk to you next time.